0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to you. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the overflow. We love you guys. God bless you. Open your Bibles too in Perry, Oklahoma. Uh, but Pastor Brian, would love you so much. Welcome to you all. Uh, let's join in together. This is the last message in a series entitled The Doctrine of the Cross. We're talking about the cross. Uh, several years ago, uh, They call it the the Dyersville Giant. It's one of the the, uh, amazing, big, uh, giant redwoods out in California. Uh, This was a 2,000-year-old tree, uh, something like uh, 30 stories tall. I mean, can you even wrap your head around that? 30 stories tall. Uh, This tree fell a few years ago. The 2,000-year-old tree weighed over a a, a million tons. They say it fell. Uh, the, The amazing thing is that they say that you could hear it a mile away that they heard it like a train wreck and and ten miles away when that tree fell it shook the ground ten miles away that they could feel that tree hit the ground I I just say that to you because I want you to understand that that when Jesus died on the cross the earth shook that's what the scriptures say that the earth shook But, but, but more importantly Jesus' death and resurrection continues to have reverberations, an echo in in my life, in your life, in the lives of all believers. And and this is the important thing that you need to know about the cross. It's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's something that continues to shake the earth and reverberate in the lives of all those who believe. There should be an effect in your life today because of the cross. And that's what I want us to look at. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're wrapping up this whole sermon series, bringing it right down to your life. That's my goal today. When we pick up in verse 14, there's a little debate going on here with Paul. He's he's trying to answer the question of whether or not he might be out of his mind, whether or not he might be crazy. And we're going to pick up right in verse 14, uh, whether he's crazy or not. That's the question, and here he goes. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, either way... Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Why don't I just read that again? He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. I could read it again, but I'm trusting that you listened. Instead, they will live for Christ, no longer living for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Praise the Lord. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Go back to verse 14 with me. Why are you the way you are? We're all wondering. (laughs) Why are you the way you are? the way, if you had to answer the question, why why are you the way you are? I I don't know what you'd say. I I don't know what other people would say trying to explain my life or your life. They would probably look at us and say, well, they are the way they are because they live in the South or because they live in Kentucky or because they're from Edmondson County, whatever. Uh, What makes you the way you are? Is it the gene pool? I mean, honestly, many of us would say we are the way we are because of factors that are outside of our choosing. Uh, Maybe our genetic pool uh, these are things you can't choose, the, the, the shape of your body, The I, I've got the Ross and Dutcher nose, I've actually got a small version of it, believe it or not. Uh, I didn't choose this. It, it just came with, with being born in, into my family. I didn't choose to be born in the South or the United States. Thank God for, for these blessings. I, I didn't choose these, but, but they've certainly shaped who I am. I didn't choose my parents. I, I didn't choose, uh, for the most part, the people I've grown up around. I, I, just like you, I've been shaped by factors outside of, of my choosing. You could explain the way I am perhaps by pointing to things like that. Your, your life would be the same. Or we could talk about things that we have chosen. You could say that you are the way you are because you quit smoking. uh, And and that's great, I I guess. You could say that you are the way you are because of lap band surgery. And and that's good. Or or, or choices that you made about where to go to school or the company, the friends that you would have. Uh, How would you answer the question, why are you the way you are? How, How would you explain your life? Because I just want to bring you back to verse 14, and an amazing thing that Paul says. And, and this is not something that should only be true for Paul or for extraordinary people. This is. This is the amazing part of what happened at the cross. It's not just that the cross, Jesus died, and this is something 2,000 years ago, and now we try to remember the story and, and that sort of thing. No, I'm telling you, when Jesus died, something amazing happened. The very fabric of the cosmos was was ran into and, and put back together. God did something amazing that continues to have an effect, and not just a small effect, What Christ has done for me on the cross has absolutely changed my life. And as Paul would say, it's changed my life to the point that if you really want to understand me now, you have to understand the cross. If you really want to explain who I am and why I do the things I do and why I say the things I say, if you really want to explain who I am and why I am the person I am, you got to go back to the cross. Paul says, either way, whether I'm crazy or not, and that was a real question, either way... Christ's love controls me. Christ's love compels me, the, the word may be. It, it, it's a Greek word there, control, compel. It has to do with, with, with boxing somebody in. It has to do with, with cornering somebody or eliminating all their options. Are, are you with me? So, so Paul says, what Christ has done for me, Christ's love has absolutely rewritten the story of my life to the degree where I don't feel like I have any other option other than to live the life that I live, this life for Christ. Christ's love compels me. Christ's love controls me. I I can't imagine living any other way because Christ's love has messed me up. In the most wonderful way, I'm different because of Christ's love. Now, that sounds simple, perhaps, to some of you, but but let's be really, really honest. In the world in which we live, most people looking at me, God help me, and and a lot of people looking at you might not necessarily explain you By making a reference to Jesus' love. And this is certainly to our condemnation. This is absolutely to our condemnation. Even in the United States culture where we live, it's amazing how the church is not necessarily known for loving people. Not necessarily known as somehow being nearly crazy because of Jesus' love. That's just not the reputation we have. And that ought to keep us up at night really ought to bother us that in that in our world our neighbors they are more familiar with all the things that we're against you you understand And, and we come through a very very difficult week in the United States and some very difficult controversies now before us and the Church of Jesus Christ is very very clear about all of the things we're against unfortunately the world is beginning to forget and lose touch with the things we're supposed to be for And what we're supposed to be for is this love of Christ that controls us, that compels us, that that boxes us in, that eliminates all other options of living any other kind of life. It's Jesus' love that explains my life. It's Jesus' love that controls me. This is what Paul says for himself. I have to say, I don't know that that's true for me. God help me, but I don't know that that's true for me. And I wonder if it's true for you, that that you are so consumed that that, that somehow what God did through Christ on the cross, it it shook the earth and it continues to shake your life. I mean, can you say that? Would the people around you know that whatever else can be said for you, you are a man, you are a woman who just loves Jesus, and Jesus' love just flows through you? Would they explain you that way? Would they know that you make the choices, you make it work— because you're just crazy in love with Jesus, would they know that about you? When they watch you and your spouse uh, interact with each other out in public, would they recognize that this is a couple that loves each other because their love comes from Jesus? I I mean, Paul says, Jesus' love compels me. It it controls me. I, I don't know how the cross has affected your life, but if On the other side of it, your life isn't somehow compelled and controlled by Jesus' love, then I'm not exactly sure what you think the cross did for you. God demonstrates his love for us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. If the cross is a demonstration of love, then when you take up your cross and follow Jesus, your life becomes a demonstration of love. Now, we need to go fix that, don't we? We need to go fix that. Paul goes on to say that, 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 that this amazing, amazing work that Christ has done for us, he, he died for all, verse 15, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer, no longer, say it, live for themselves. You understand? You're now boiling the doctrine of the cross down to the most practical thing possible. And the most practical effect is that because of Jesus, because of his death for you, and because of your acceptance of his gift of salvation, the the primary difference now practically is that you're no longer going to live for yourself. Your life is not about you. Nothing is about you anymore. you understand? You're not living for yourself. You're not trying to make choices based on what it's going to do for you. That old way of thinking is gone. It's Christ's love that compels you now, Remember? And so now we no longer live for ourselves. Instead, we live for Christ who died and was raised for us. No longer living for yourself. Oh, oh my goodness. If this church, if this pastor, let's start with me. If I could just simply turn that corner where nothing I do would be about me. If I could absolutely turn that corner where nothing I do is for myself, th- th- then, then I'm beginning then, beginning to live the life that Christ has for me, the life that Christ died to bring me. And if this church, if we could just get to the point where we no longer think about ourselves first, but instead we think of Christ, if we could get to that point, then we would finally be at the point where Christ could do something with Woodward Baptist Church. It's got to stop being about us. And now let's take it right to your pew. You've got to get to the point, you've got to get to the point where you no longer think about yourself first. Where you no longer make decisions based on how is this going to be good for me. You have to get over yourself. And this is exactly what Paul says. Jesus died to bring us this new life. And one of the first real effects as the cross shakes our life, as the cross reverberates through my life, one of the first things that's shaken away is my selfishness. I'm just no longer thinking about myself. I'm no longer making decisions based on what's it gonna do for me. No longer live for ourselves. Instead, we live for Christ who died and was raised for us. Here we're gonna have four effects. Four effects of this. Why don't you write these down? Four effects. Four things that the cross has done. Four ways that it makes my life different. Start in verse 16. First one. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Effect number one, what the cross has done for me as a Christian, I can never look at people the same way. I can never see people like I used to see people. Verse 16, we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view, a worldly point of view. Let's just talk about this. What's the worldly point of view? How do most people look at other people? Can, can, can you tell me? About money? It's about money, absolutely. We size people up, and, and many of us, we can't help it. We just automatically kind of figure out about how much money they would have. And we tend to be attracted to people who have more of it. It's kind of a worldly human point of view. What else? How do we look at people? Yeah, physically. We, we look at bodies. Oh my goodness, get an eye full in this house today. We look at, at bodies. Do you understand? It, 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 is a, it is a horrible effect of our culture. We are drowning in pornography, let's be honest. Our culture is drowning in pornography. And so often now some of us are, are, are trained, our, our minds, our eyes are trained. We see people as bodies. We often see people lustfully as as objects of our own sexual perversion. We look at people as bodies. We see physical bodies. That's a worldly point of view. What else? What do we look on? Remember the old story when Samuel was going to to find Israel's king, and he went to Jesse, and Jesse had all of those sons and started parading the sons out, and, and... it seems like all of Jesse's sons were really, really handsome, really tall, really rugged, really athletic, really strong. And every time a new one would come out, what would Samuel say? Not that one. Yeah, yeah, not that one. Certainly that one, but, but no, not that one. Yeah. What was the word from the Lord that day? Do you remember? People look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. People look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. We no longer look at people. We no longer see people from a worldly point of view. We're not looking at outward appearances. Now, again, put some things together with, with me now. We've been talking about the cross now for weeks. Remember how we said that at the cross we understand that God is the God who hides power and weakness. Remember when we said that? Don't make me preach that whole sermon again. God is the God who hides power power and weakness. Last week we talked about how God is a God who takes this treasure, the glory of God, the light of Christ. He takes this great treasure and puts it where? Jars of clay. Yeah, a a clay jar. So God is this God who hides glory, who hides beauty. And since we know that this is the way God is, then we, we learn how to understand and see the world now. We can see things God's way. So that means we don't look at outer appearances. We know that God is a God who can put a treasure inside a jar of clay. So it doesn't do you any good to judge people by outward appearance. You can't look a frog in the eye and see how far he'll jump. You understand? We don't look at people. That way, We don't judge people based on how they look on the outside. We're not concerned with money because that's an outward thing. It makes no difference. We have no idea what treasure is inside a person that has nothing to do with what's in their wallet. You understand? We don't look at people as bodies that may be attractive or sexually to us or somehow physically appealing because we're not interested in in, in physical things. We're interested in spiritual things. And God is a God who confounds the, 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 the wisdom of the wise. And God is a God who puts power in weakness. So we see everybody differently now. This is what Paul says, you can't possibly, you can't possibly just look at people anymore and prejudge them based on what you see on the outside, the color of their skin, or the clothes that they wear, or or the car that they drive, or the school that they go to, or the friends they hang out with. You just can't judge people like that, because you've got to look on a heart. You've got to see hearts. The fact of the matter is every man, woman, boy, and girl that you could ever lay eyes on, you understand, they're not just a physical body. They are a soul, a living, breathing soul that Jesus died for, and that changes everything. It changes everything. You understand, it is not that we have value because of what we look like or because of what we are on the outside. We have value because God loved us enough to send his son to die for us. Every person you can meet is a soul that Jesus died for. And so, therefore, we don't look at people in a worldly but point of view anymore. We don't see people from a human perspective. We try to see people the way God sees people. And God always, always, always sees the heart. You with me? So keep going. We stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we even thought of Christ this way from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means, here we go, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. Okay, effect number two, effect number two, my life is now completely transformed by the power and possibility of Christ. My life is transformed. I'm a new person. The old is gone, and the new has come. I am changed. I am changed. You've heard the story about when Billy Graham years ago was on an international flight, long, long flight, and the guy in front of him, the the passenger in the seat right in front of him, started drinking on the flight, and, and he drank, and he drank, and he drank, and eventually got very, very intoxicated, and the more drunk he became, the louder and more obnoxious he became. He he became absolutely unbearable for other passengers. They were complaining. Everybody just couldn't stand the way this man was behaving right in front of Billy Graham. So finally, the flight attendant came back to this man, this drunken man, this loud man, and said, Sir, I don't believe that you would act the way you're acting if you realize that Billy Graham is sitting right behind you. I don't think you would act this way if you understood this Billy Graham sitting behind you. The drunk guy says, Billy Graham? Billy Graham? And so he stands up and he turns around and gets right in Billy Graham's face and says, Billy Graham? It's so wonderful to meet you. Billy Graham. Billy Graham. I went to one of your crusades when I was a little boy. And you changed my life. really. Yeah. You changed my life. Wow. It's hard to change, isn't it? I mean, let's be really, really honest. It's, it's hard to change. Even when you really want to change. Some of you sit in this house, man, you, you have wanted to change for a long, long time. It, it's hard to change. And the hard thing about it is that the devil will attack you in this place. This is where the enemy will come after you. The enemy doesn't have a lot of power over you in your life other than what you give him. And so the best way for him to get you to give him power is to lie to you. And so he lies. And he doesn't really need a lot of lies. The few that he has seem to work every time. And one of the devil's number one lies for me and for you is he'll just whisper in your ear, you'll never change. You'll never change. He just wants you to believe that you can't change. He wants you to believe that there's no way that Christ could do something with you, that you'll always be the way you are, that you can never, ever break loose of your addictions. You'll never, ever change your habits. You're stuck. It may work for other people. It won't work for you. You'll never change. You must never believe this lie. You must never, ever believe the lie that you'll never change. This is what Paul says. This is the way the cross continues to reverberate in our lives because at the cross we see this demonstration of God's unlimited power. God is the God, remember, who can bring life out of death. If, if he can bring life out of a dead body, then I promise you he can bring to life everything that's dead in you. You can change. You're going to change. And the scripture goes so far to say that everyone who is in Christ, they are a new creation. You are a new person. Everything old is passed away. Everything old is passed away, and everything new now is come. You are a different person. You've got to understand that you are not who you used to be. You're not that person. And you must no longer continue to walk as that person. And you must have the mind of Christ so that you stop thinking like that person. Everyone who is in Christ is, is a new person. You can change. Christ will change you. I'm not saying that you've got it in you to change. I'm not saying that. That's not the message of the cross. If you had it in you, Christ wouldn't have had to come and die for you. You couldn't do it. You do not have the power. If you could change yourself, you would have already changed yourself. If you could change by just turning over a a new leaf, understand, you would have already turned over a new leaf. You can't do it. You just can't do it. But Christ can do it for you and Christ can do it through you. And this is the message of the cross. Everyone, everyone who is in Christ is a new person. That means there's possibility for me now. I'm no longer limited to just the accidents of my birth. I'm no longer limited somehow to what I can do in my own strength. I now have the power of God flowing through me. I, I have the earth-shaking effects of the cross continuing to reverberate through, through my life. I have unlimited possibility. If God wants it for me, then there's nothing that's going to keep me from experiencing and walking into it. Do you understand? It's possibility. I'm not in my life stuck anymore. I'm no longer a slave to my habits or a slave to my thoughts or somehow always following the crowd. In Christ, I'm a new person, a a, a brand new person. Do, Do you understand? It's the devil who tells you you'll never change. It's the devil who tells you that. It's the devil who tells you that you're addicted somehow and that you'll never, ever change the power of, of, of the addictions in your life. That's the devil's voice. You say, I, I'm addicted, but Jesus still tells you that he sets the captives free. This is going to work for you too. You just got to let him do his work in you. You get stuck in your marriage, and it's the devil's lie that says you two will never change. That woman will never change. That man will never change. You will never be happy again. Your happiness is with somebody else. You just need to leave. You just need to forget her. This is the devil's lie that somehow your marriage can never change. It can never get any better. Do you not understand that in Christ, we're talking about two new people. This is not the husband that that you used to have. This is not the woman that you used to know. You are new people in Christ. That means there's unlimited possibility and unlimited power now for your marriage. For your marriage. Some of you get into financial messes and and you somehow think you can never, ever make it financially. You'll never figure this out. You'll never be a good steward. You'll never somehow dig your way out of this hole that you're in. But you understand, in Christ there's unlimited possibility and power. You can never fall for the lie that you can't change. As a matter of fact, to stand in the shadow of the cross, to stand in the shadow of the cross and to say, I'll never change, to to say that, to believe that, is the greatest kind of blasphemy that that I can imagine. It is absolutely an insult to God who says that in Christ you're a new person. For you to believe the lie that you can never change is an insult to Christ. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new person creation. Everything old is gone. Everything new is come. Unlimited possibility, unlimited power. Keep going. Number three, all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. I love this. Listen. And God has given us this task of, say the word, reconciling. Given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. I I, I love that. God was in Christ. This is the cross. Remember I said that if you see Christ, you see God at the cross. Christ's actions are God's actions. And so this is what Paul is saying here. At the cross, God was in Christ, reconciling. Reconciling the world to himself. It's, it's a relational term. It has to do with ending hostility. It has to do with repairing a broken relationship. And at the cross, God was repairing a, a broken relationship. God was reconciling the world to himself. Now when I say reconcile, you're thinking about when you were growing up and you and your sister were getting a fight and your mama would come in and she'd jerk you by the neck and jerk her up by the neck and sit you down and then she'd say what? All right, you two, kiss and make up. Yeah. Do you have to kiss your sister? Yeah, it'll make you never fight with her again. (laughs) Kiss and make up. Yeah. So when you hear the word reconcile, you sort of think about two people that are sort of at odds, two people fighting, but, but, but they kiss and make up, or they somehow negotiate some sort of truce. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then you draw the line down the seat, you know, so you never cross it and fight it. It's, it's negotiating kind of a truth. You reconcile by just sort of ending the hostility. Negotiating. I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. kiss and make up. Okay, you got to understand, this is not what happens at the cross. It's not a kiss and make up thing. Because in our relationship with God, it, it was certainly broken. It, it was absolutely broken, but... But God was the fully faithful partner here. God had broken nothing from his side. He owes us no apology. you understand? It's not reconciliation in the sense that we come together and negotiate new terms of relationship. There's no negotiating to do. He's a holy God. We were sinners. We had turned our backs on him. We have no negotiating to do. There's absolutely nothing from our side that can be done. So God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, how does he does this? It's completely one-sided. You with me? Completely one-sided. But God does it by doing an amazing thing. Notice what it says. This is so thrilling. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them no longer counting people's sins against them. We were sinners and in Christ, because of what Christ does at the cross, remember perfect love, perfect justice, he who knew no sin becomes sin itself so that we can become the righteousness of God. God does this on himself and makes it possible for us to have a relationship with him. But the result of this is no longer counts our sins against us. Now that's amazing. The fact that you're not amazed makes me wonder if you've not forgotten what a sinner you are. It's no longer counted against us. You ever play basketball as a kid on one of those kids' teams? When I played, I was always awful, and I was always on an awful team, and it was probably all my fault, I confess. I I was the, the weak link. Always got beat, always got skunked, and it was horrible. It's just depressing to look up at the scoreboard. You ever been skunked like that? You ever just looked up and it's like 87 to 3 or, or, or something, and you're saying, ah, how long will this game last? And, and everything that you shoot is just a turkey. You're just throwing dead turkeys up, and, and it's just horrible. And every time you shoot, it's, it's nothing, and, and this game continues. The score continues to scream, scream that, that, that you've lost, that you're beaten, that you're skunked, that you're destroyed. That was my day. You've been to a kid's basketball game like that lately? You know what they do when one team's getting skunked so you don't hurt anybody's feelings? They turn the scoreboard off. I so would have loved to have done that when I was a kid. (laughs) Turn the scoreboard off. That means that you keep throwing up the dead turkeys, but it no longer counts against you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting our sins against us. That's unbelievable. And it's not just that he turns off the scoreboard. This is the amazing, this is the crazy part. It's not just that he turned off the scoreboard. It's that at the cross, he declares us the winners. At the cross, it's, 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 he declares us the winners. It's, it's, it's not even that we're skunked anymore. He, he gives us his victory. We are declared winners here, and it's the most amazing and impossible thing. But this is the only way that we could be reconciled to God. We couldn't forgive ourselves. We couldn't transform ourselves. Everything we do is just pitching up another dead turkey. You understand, But but God in Christ reconciles us to himself. He repairs that relationship. So now, the the amazing thing is now God's message to the entire world is simply come back to me. Come back to God. That's what Paul says. That's God's message now. But the amazing thing is it's our message. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. It's a government term. What's an ambassador? It's like a representative. If I were the United States ambassador to, uh, to Turkey, then I would go live in Turkey. And in Turkey, I would have an American flag flying outside of my office. And in that country, I would be representing my president. I would be representing my country. I would be a representative of, of, of my home, my land, in a foreign place. So Paul says he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. Come back to God. Chris Say uh, wrote a book in which he talks about growing up in Houston with a very godly Christian father. They used to go to the games at the Astrodome, ball games, baseball games. Uh, they always had the cheap seats, which I think is like at the outfield deck there, cheap seats. Uh, they would go often, but always in the, in the cheap seats, the, the deck. And apparently at the deck, a lot of people would, would go cheap seats. They'd buy cheap tickets so they had more money to spend on beer. And so out there on the, on the deck, at the beginning of the game, it's kind of rowdy, uh, but, but it gets rowdier as people drink and drink and drink more. And Chris says this is the way they always watch the ball games, from the cheap seats with the drunks. Uh, by the seventh inning, everybody would be intoxicated. The, they would be spilling their beer and, and dropping their peanuts and their popcorn. and just just a mess. And when Chris would talk about with his buddies going to the games, his buddies would say, man, you're, in the, you're out there with the bad people. You're out there with the bad people. And, and Chris said it was absolutely true. I mean, it's <laughs> the bad people, the crazy people. One of the craziest guys out there in the uh, outfield deck in those days was... Uh, The guy they all called Batty Bob. They named him Batty Bob. He was just this guy who would show up in this rainbow wig and he would lead cheers and the drunker he would get the louder he would get and he was just crazy. Batty Bob in the rainbow wig out there in the outfield deck. Chris was always kind of afraid of of Batty Bob. He was one of those bad people, crazy people that his friends would talk about. One day at the ball game, Chris was sitting back and Baddie Bob was especially, um, especially out of control that day, loud and drunk. And Chris said that his dad got up out of their seat and went down and sat by Baddie Bob. Just sat by him, started talking to, to Batty Bob. And before long he had his arm around Baddie Bob and he spent that whole game down there with Baddie Bob. And Chris was thinking, what's, what's my dad doing? He's left me, he's sitting with Baddie Bob. And then what got crazier, the game was over. Batty Bob came and got in their car, went home with them. And Chris is looking at his dad every now and then like, you know, what is Batty Bob doing in her car? He's still got the rainbow wig on his head. Batty Bob went and spent several days at their house. When Chris got alone with his dad, his dad said, Chris, I, I want to explain to you why Bob's at our house. Bob has a lot of problems and he needs our help. Chris said to his dad, "I said, but dad, isn't, isn't Batty Bob, is he kind of crazy? I mean, is, are, are we in any kind of trouble? Is he really the kind of guy we'd have in our house? And, and Chris's dad just simply said, Chris, God loves Bob. He has a lot of problems. He needs a lot of help. God loves him. And since God loves him, We're going to love him too. I don't know how many baddie bobs you got in your life. Just take a look down your pew. You you, you can get an idea. We have this tendency to to look at people and and judge them. This tendency to look at people and separate ourselves from them and try to put ourselves with the right people. The amazing thing thing about the cross is that that's not how we think anymore. That, that's not how a Christian operates in the world. It's not just that we don't see them like everybody else sees them. We don't just see crazy people or, or bad people or drunk people. We, we see souls for whom Christ died. That makes them of infinite worth. And because they are worth that much to God, they should be worth that much to us. So that means my whole life now is different. That This is what the cross does. It It gives my life this purpose now Where everything I'm about Is is really about representing Christ The the living Christ Who died for the sake of the world I live for him now And if as I said at, At the cross God places himself there In a place where all of creation can see him And if truly what God does at the cross Is just simply call out to the world Come to me Come back to me then once I have come to the cross and once my life becomes the life of Christ, then that becomes my purpose. To take Christ's message to people, to, to go to people and say, come back to him. Come, come to Christ. Come, come back to him. You're it's, it's a world of people broken. They're not crazy. They just have problems and they need help. They're not sinners any 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 worse than you're a sinner. You understand it. It may be sin different from yours, but that doesn't make them different from you. We're all in the same boat. We're all bottom of the barrel kind of people. Remember, the, the truth is, you got the message that Jesus loves you, and you, and you got the message that that you could be a different kind of person. And you've experienced this transforming power that comes from the cross. You've had this treasure placed in this jar of clay. I mean, you're a different person because of what Christ has done for you. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. It's because of what Christ has done for you. You got the message that that, that you could come back to God and and, and be a different person. You you, you got that message. and, And the world is full of people who need somebody to tell them. They need somebody to tell them that they can change. They need somebody to tell them that God is no longer counting their sins against them. They need somebody to tell them that they can come back to God. And that somebody is you. Do you understand? They need somebody to tell them. And that somebody is you. Pray with me. All those people in the world, Lord, all those people in Woodburn and Bowling Green and Franklin and Russellville, Lord, all those people in Oklahoma and all those people, Lord, everywhere. Some of them are different. We don't always understand them, Lord. We don't know why people do what they do. We can't explain why they are the way they are. But, Lord, I pray that when they look at us, when they see our lives, there will only be one explanation for why we are the way we are, and that explanation would be the love of Jesus. Lord, I pray that the only possible way to explain my life and the way I talk and the way I act, I pray that the only explanation would be that man loves Jesus. I pray that for this church, Lord. I just pray that because of the cross and the power of the cross and transforming transforming experience of salvation, Lord, that every single one of us will just be compelled by the love of Jesus to live a different kind of life. To stop looking at people the way the world looks at people. and Instead of seeing outward appearances, Lord, let us see souls that you love and souls that you died for. Let us look at hearts and love people for their hearts. God, we're so consumed with ourselves and thinking about ourselves and how to make ourselves look better and how to make ourselves feel better and how to make ourselves richer and how to make ourselves more comfortable. God, help us to get over ourselves and and live for you so that our entire life becomes simply to live and breathe and walk and talk as your representative, Lord, with your message on our lips. God, the people in our lives, the people we know, the messed up, crazy people around us, Lord, they just need to hear somebody say that they can come back to God, that they can come back to you, oh Lord. We know, Lord, that you want us to be those people. We know that the mouth you want to use is our mouth. Lord, you have given us this ministry of reconciliation. You've given us this message, this task. It's... What happens when we come to the cross and experience the joy of salvation, we then become responsible to tell others where they can find this power, this peace. Jesus, I pray that you would make us willing, able, and bold to share this message with the world. Lord Jesus, we know what the cross is. And we know what the cross has done for us, and we know how it continues to shake the world. Lord Jesus, I pray that it will shake our mouths loose, that we might speak. Pray that the echo in our lives will be so strong that other people will come to us, that they might hear about the mighty love of Jesus, in whose name we pray.